Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. Attention roll call. I would like to dedicate this episode to police officer Edward Byrne. On February 26, 1988, at approximately 0330 hours, police officer Byrne was assigned to guard the home of a Guyanese immigrant whose home was previously firebombed on two separate occasions. The owner had been repeatedly threatened. Police officer Burns was assigned to the post by himself. While he was sitting in a marked patrol car, two men, aided by two others, snuck up on police officer Byrne and assassinated him. Edward was 22 years old. Edward's murderers are now eligible for parole. Please honor Edward and our other fallen by going to www.nycpba.org, click on the link cop killers, and ask to keep Ed's murderers and other cop killers in jail. This will only take one minute of your day. All right, everybody, welcome. New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. Uh, On this episode, I'll be interviewing Marianne Pizzatola. Marianne is the president and founding member of the New York City Organization of Public Service, Public Service Retirees, Inc. She is also the president and founder of the FDNY EMS Retirees Association. Marianne is an FDNY EMS retiree. And in her retirement, she's been fighting hard and she's been working tirelessly to unite all of New York City retirees in order to defend and protect retiree benefits. Marianne, welcome. Thank you for joining. And could you please discuss, just tell us a little bit about your organization before we get started into why you're here today? Absolutely. So the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees uh, became um, the organization we started to protect a retiree's benefits. We never thought we would be here, but because uh, of a decision that was made last July between the city and the unions, we learned that we, if we didn't stand up for ourselves to protect what we had earned and paid for, or we thought we were promised, that they were going to get away with trying to force all Medicare eligible retirees into a Medicare Advantage plan. So that's why the organization was founded. And it actually, we're coming up on our one year anniversary that I think I held my very first meeting on August 13th. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and what is it exactly that your organization does? I know that like we're saying, you're protecting retiree benefits. Did you, did you find, did you find, uh, found the, the organization based upon us losing our health, like us being pushed out of this Medicare Advantage plan or well, being put into the Medicare. I'm Advantage sorry. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah. So, so yes, the organization's goal was to protect a retiree's benefit. And how did we, what did we think we had to do about that? Well, 
knowing I have a labor relations background. When I was working for the city, I had also completed a degree in labor relations. And I knew that as a retiree, my former union or our former unions no longer represented our interests. Um, under the Taylor law, unions can only represent those in collective bargaining with wages, hours, and work conditions. We don't have that. We're retired. So how can a union be negotiating away a benefit that we were promised? So we wanted to litigate that or at least find a way to have a due process. And we found as a retiree, we had no due process. You couldn't file a grievance. Uh, there was no way for arbitration. You literally had to sue them. So we filed, we hired two lawyers. Uh, we had to do fundraising to be able to afford to do that. And, um, and we filed a lawsuit in September of 2021. And uh, that lawsuit, the, the decision comes down in March. Well, before we even get into the lawsuit, what is it that we're promised? What is it that I'm promised? I'm a retiree. I just retired from the police department. Like, what am I promised in, in, in retirement? Like, what is that promise from the city? I retired from the NYPD. Okay, so you retired on service after your 20 plus years, right? So you're entitled to your pension that you've been paying into. Um, and you're also entitled to your health care. Um, now, uh, according to the statute, 12-126, uh, which is which is the administrative code in which we won this case on. That law states that the city must pay up to the HIP HMO cap for any plan that the city offers in for healthcare and that they have to pay up to that HIP HMO cap for any employee, retiree, and their dependent. It also gives you your Medicare B reimbursement if you are Medicare eligible. So that statute protects you, that's your healthcare. You have your pension benefit that's protected under the New York State Constitution. Uh, what we found was our health benefits were not protected under the state constitution, even though it is a vested benefit. So we had no choice but to try to file this lawsuit to protect that benefit. Now, the other benefits you get as a service retiree, you, you specifically because you're NYPD, you would get an annuity. Not every union does. You also get a welfare fund um, benefit, which is vision, prescription, and dental. You might get some other perks that your union had negotiated for. But we have to remember, too, that we have a group of retirees that have no unions, and those would be like your commissioners, your managers, et cetera, and they would be in the MBF, the Management Benefit Fund, but they have no union. So in the early days of this, uh, one of the union attorneys, actually one of the attorneys, well, actually he is a union attorney, too, one of the, one of the attorneys that represents the UFT and the MLC said, like, we didn't know what we were talking about, we should just go file a grievance. Well, if you've been an attorney for how many decades, you should know that a retiree has no right to a grievance. We don't have a due process there. So I said, all right, we'll play along. We, we, had, we, we posted on our Facebook page, with the, which at the time I think was like 10,000 members. And we said, call your unions, call your former unions and try to file a grievance. And the unions were like, you can't file a grievance, you're retired. Like, we don't even have to talk to you. And, and, and just so we're clear, like I'm, I'm a retired member of NYPD, who's, who's affected by, by this decision to move people out of, out of Medicare and into this Medicare Advantage plan? Everybody, employees and retirees. And the reason why is it affects a retiree today who's Medicare eligible. But this also affects every non-Medicare eligible retiree and every employee not yet retired because this will be your future. So if they're not paying attention to what's happening, they will suffer the consequences because that's part of the reason why we got here. Okay, so so you 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 push your lawsuit in July. 
And who is that lawsuit specifically against that, that, that we attack the city of New York and, and uh, the, uh, the, MC, uh, the MLC, the, the Municipal Labor Committee? No, so we only sued the city. We only sued the city of New York, um, and the reason was is because these health contracts are between the city of New York and the insurance company. We are a beneficiary of that, um, so we get we could not technically sue the unions. Um, the MLC made that decision, but we sued the we sued the city of New York. Um, and who is the MLC, the Municipal Labor Committee? This Municipal Labor Committee consists of the unions in the city of New York. Um, but we did sue the city of New York. We filed that case in September. We uh, were able to get a temporary restraining order uh, pretty much right away. I think that was October. They had to stop the plan because they were trying to force us um, within 30 days of, of opting out of that plan. They were going to auto enroll us into the Medicare Advantage plan we would have to opt out. And if we didn't get the injunction, then um, we would have ended up paying a penalty premium of about $200 a person, Medicare eligible, to stay in our current senior care, GHI senior care plan. The injunction stopped that. Um, the judge said that it was arbitrary and capricious what they did and that he wanted more information before he'd permit the plan to go forward. So this kind of dragged out through the courts from September, October, through March, uh, we had oral arguments in February, and then we were given a decision March 3rd, where the judge said that you know he found on our behalf uh, that that they could not um, push this plan, push us into this plan, and charge us a penalty premium if we opted out. So we we won. That was probably like our sixth win at the time. We were pretty excited about that because along the way we had these little wins in between. But we we've been pretty successful to this point, and and. Um, We've been very gracious for that. No, thank you for that. I mean, um, so like I'm, I'm, I'm a lifetime member with the LBA, right? But I'm not, a, I'm not an employee anymore, you know? So I'm not an employee, but I'm a lifetime member with them. Have any, have any unions in the city of New York, uh, any, any, whoever it may be, have any unions supported? I'm, I'm sure you've reached out to, to many unions. Have any of them been supported of your lawsuit? Have any have helped you either financially or media contacts or anything? No, sadly, no, I have to tell you, no. Um, it's, and it's not that we, ha they haven't expressed uh, dismay at the situation. They're not really happy with how this went. And, and let me partially explain why. They, some of them been around a while. They know that what the MLC's vote was, was inappropriate. They don't believe that it was the right thing to do. Um, however, if you're familiar with the Municipal Labor Committee, how it's structured, that they have one vote for, I believe it's about 250 members. So your largest unions is DC 37 and the UFT. So those unions together combined control almost two thirds of the vote. You need a two-thirds vote in order to pass any motion. So if just those two unions have almost the entire say, maybe they need a one or two unions extra. No one will tell me because they, they just won't tell me. I can't get Harry Nespoli, who's president of the MLC, who's also the head of the sanitation and worker, to call me back. No one will tell me officially what list of unions are in the MLC. No one will tell me what the roll call vote was because there wasn't a roll call vote on this on July 14th of 2021. No one will tell me how each union voted and they, they, they won't share these details. What we do know with this weighted vote because we did get some information about that, that 
those two unions can pretty much control any any decision that they wanted if they sided together. And in this situation, with, with this agreement, they sided together. Um, they're not happy about that. These other unions, some are small, some are trade unions. They don't agree with what's happening. Um, it, sometimes like Pat Lynch's organization, the PBA has actually sued over this. And the argument that they're being told, um, what's been relayed to us at least, was that if you're in if you're in the MLC, you're in the MLC and you have to agree, you have to go by what they agree to. You can't pick and choose. And I said, well, that's really not democratic, is it? And especially if the vote is so weighted that two unions can pretty much control everything. These smaller unions, especially the officers unions of both fire and EMS, fire EMS police, would never have have a have a say. They their vote really wouldn't carry much weight because if those two unions decided that they wanted something, they could pretty much overrule everybody else, even if it wasn't in the best interest of all the other unions. So the Municipal Labor Committee was founded in the 60s because it was they were trying to stop one union from being pit against the other in collective bargaining. The theory was good. And at the time, the unions were smaller. So there wasn't this issue. But there is this issue today. And I don't think it's fair and equitable. And I think the smaller unions that don't like what's happening with, this, with, being for with forcing retirees into a Medicare Advantage plan, what they're telling me is that they would like to come out and support us, but they're afraid of retaliation from the MLC. Um, so they can't. And in like in Pat's case, uh, in PBA's case, they don't have a contract. So if he were to create, and he's not agreeing to this either, he doesn't like this situation. So I think he's meeting some resistance with the city not giving him a contract because he's not supporting the 2018 savings agreement or forcing his retirees into an MA plan. It's probably going, if, if this thing were to go through, it would probably happen to his people as well, but he doesn't agree with it. But will they talk, will they stand up to, to this? Will they help, help our organization or retirees group in any way? My short answer is no, no one, not one union has helped me, has helped us. So you, you become aware of this. I'm sorry, wait, I'm sorry, I just got feedback. But uh, you become aware of this on your own. You become aware of this on your own. How did you actually become aware of this? Be like, how, how did that happen? Like, how, what raised you up on this? Like, did you, you did it just come out? Like the MLC, the city of New York goes to MLC. MLC has this vote that none of us know because we can't see the roll call. So we don't even know who voted what. So I, I can't even lobby my, my union that I pay, that I pay into, right? So th this vote happens and then, how do you come to find out about this? Is it, is it through your other organization that you already had? Yeah, so because this didn't exist. Uh, so as president of the Retirees Association for EMS, uh, it was on our radar because a news story broke. Uh, I think it was either in the city or it was in the Intercept. I don't remember, or the Focus. I don't remember which one. It, it, was, a, it was a New York City publication that did a story that the unions in the city were, were had met to try to, uh, for the goal of, taking away a retiree's Medicare and put them into a Medicare Advantage plan. And we were like, what? That can't happen. We were promised our benefits. Like, how could that be? And when the article came out, we started to make inquiries. And then there was a couple other retiree groups that had started raising their red flags too. And so we started to talk amongst each other. And that's when we realized like this is happening. And then we got a letter from the city of New York uh, right after that July 14th meeting. 
Um, and then a couple of our former unions who are still friends of ours, you know, because let's face it, you know, we've been on the job for a while. Many of us have been on the job for a while, but the current uh, officers are still people we know. So we would call them out and go, what's going on with this? And they're like, oh, yeah, they told us it was a better plan for you. Oh, they told us it would save the city money. Um, but yeah, the vote's on the 14th and it looks like it's going to go through. And there's a couple unions that don't want to do it, but it's probably going to pass. I'm like, well, do you know about it? Do you know what it is? Like, do you know what the differences are? Well, no, but they told us it was better. And the labor relations said it mirrors your plan now. So it's okay. And I'm like, did you look at it? <laughs> did you see the contract? No. What do you mean? No, you're going to vote for this and you haven't seen the contract. And they, they said, well, yeah, because the MLC said it was good. And, and labor relations said it was better. And they give you extra perks. I'm like, you didn't read the contract. No, we weren't given a contract. We were just given a summary sheet. Oh, okay. So you're okay to negotiate away my benefit and you haven't seen the fine print. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's when we started reaching out. We got the letter from the city of New York. I believe that was in August saying that this was going to happen. We had to opt out by October and the plan was going to go into effect in January. Has New York City given a reason why why they're opting to why they're trying to push us all into this? Yes. Why they're what and what's their reasoning? <laughs> because the city of New York and the unions, the MLC, agreed to healthcare savings in the 2014 and 2018 contracts. So there's two agreements called the 2014 MLC agreement and the 2018 MLC agreement. The 2014 MLC agreement started because of the 2014 UFT MOU. Uh, memorandum of understanding. Um, the teachers hadn't had a contract in nine years under under Bloomberg. Um, and when he was finally offered a contract under de Blasio, he said, look, the city doesn't have any money for this. It's a nine-year contract. It's 18% total, um, plus all of retro and the annuity fund money and all this other stuff and the welfare fund money. You know, if you pay for it, we'll give it to you. Where do you get the money from? Well, there's two funds that have been used consistently like slush funds. And this is not my words. I mean, they're my words now, but, <laughs> but these are the words from, from the IBO, which is the Independent Budget Office, as well as the last two controllers, uh, have both acknowledged that the Health Insurance Stabilization Fund, as well as the RHBT, Retiree Health Benefit Trust, have been used like slush funds by both the city and the, and the unions. And in 2014, in the 2014 UFT contract, when the mayor said, you can have this raise and all these bennies, if you pay for them, the money's got to come out of the stabilization fund. The health insurance stabilization fund is a fund that was created in the 80s to help offset the cost of GHI and, senior, and, uh, and HIP. So when one plan was higher, it put money into the fund. When the other plan was higher, it took money out to levelize it. That way, employees and retirees always had at least these two plans for free, right? Um, employees and retirees and your dependents. So this fund is what helped that. This fund also funded the union's welfare funds. So it also funded a bunch of other things. <laughs> and there's no... <laughs> There's no accountability on that. We filed a freedom of information request with the controller's office and it was denied. And they said, we can't give it to you because we don't oversee that fund. There's no accounting. The two organizations that run it is the city and the unions. You know, maybe they'll give it to you. Um, so, or am I going to get that? I really don't know. So uh, how there's no accounting or oversight of this these funds, but there's been 
wide reporting on it. So there's been newspaper articles, even going back to 2003, 2011, about use of the, of the stabilization fund for other ways other than health insurance. Um, and that's where those funds got depleted. So, so you have this teacher contract. And now in the contract, it said that the money would come, $1 billion would be conveyed to the city, given to the city out of the health insurance stabilization fund for this contract. It also states that that Michael Mulgrew from the U of T had to try in his best interest to get the MLC to agree to healthcare savings for the next four years. It didn't say how, it just said that they had to. So I'm sure at that point, he went to the MLC and said, I need a billion dollars. <laughs> there was a vote. You remember the MLC is made up of a hundred something unions, who knows who, uh, but, but the U of T and DC 37 are two and together they create almost two thirds of vote so clearly, he must have convinced the DC 37 and, and, and Harry Nespoli to vote his way, and he got his, uh, his $1 billion to give to the city. Then he had to convince the, the MLC for healthcare savings going forward. They were successful in that four-year period from 14 to 18 in healthcare savings. And how did they do that? There's very little reporting on the hows. But there is some reporting if you go look in, into the testimony, uh, like by Robert Lynn and, and through city council. And some of those things were they did prior authorizations in the GHI CDP plan. Prior authorizations would prevent you from getting a treatment if the insurance company felt it wasn't medically necessary, even though your doctor was asking for it. So by reducing, by creating some hurdles in the utilization process, you may not get your care or your treatment, but the insurance company saves money. They increased copays. They increased hospitalization copays. And in some of the reports we're seeing, it all it explains why they put these copays in place. They were trying to reduce utilization of the insurance. So where your copay to go to the ER might be $50 today, what the city did was they made it like $300. That way you'll think twice before you use your ER benefit. And maybe you'll go to your PCP, you know, your primary care physician, or you'll go to urgy care before you go to the hospital. That's how they saved money. By 2018, by the end of 2014, 2014, 2018, they had they had saved money. They were all doing, you know, joy dances of joy and and were claiming how that they saved what they they had met that they, their goals were to meet. Um, they then did the 2018 agreement. The 2018 agreement is where they also then. I think where they really got themselves into trouble. They also said that they would do this Medicare Advantage plan. And they had hired uh, analysts to look and see about changing a retiree's health plan from traditional Medicare and supplemental, where we had a choice of like 14 different plans that we could choose from. Um, they wanted to, they put out an RFP, a request for proposal to change the plan and put everyone into a Medicare Advantage plan. They were advised if they could do that, it would take the cost of health insurance for retirees off their balance sheet. And how would it do that? Um, in this last 18 agreement, they had to guarantee recurring savings of $600 million. So if you look at the retirees' health insurance, it doesn't quite meet the $600 million, but, it, but in their bloated figures, and their numbers were pretty bloated, it came up to $600 million. Um, by putting people into these this, this kind of a Medicare Advantage plan. Now the city and the unions wanted two different organizations to run it. The city wanted Aetna, the unions wanted an alliance of Emblem and Anthem Blue Cross. So Anthem 
and Blue, Blue, Anthem Blue Cross Emblem Health had never really been in, in a partnership in doing an MA plan. Aetna had been doing MA plans for a long time. Actually, the city has offered MA plans, Medicare Advantage plans, for a very long time, going back to the 90s. They were always available, but you were never forced into one. So where does this savings come from and what was, what was precipitating this? It's because the federal government pays for Medicare Advantage plans. So Anthem and, and Emblem came together and said, look, if we do this plan and put all your retirees in there, the federal government will pay us for the plan and you don't have to pay for those retirees anymore. So it takes it off your balance sheet, there's your savings. And the city said to the unions, if you do this, we'll give you that money in your stabilization fund. All right. So, all right. yeah. So basically the city, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. You hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah, sorry, I keep uh, getting feedback. But so basically the city's saving money and they're kicking us out and they're trying to move us over to this Medicare Advantage plan. What is the difference between these two plans? Like the plan that I'm currently in now, like what what would happen? Not well, not that I'm in now, but like someone who's in, in Medicare now, oh, uh, Medicare eligible, someone that's there. What would happen to their benefits? Would it be a higher cost? Would it be less care? Like what, what, what are the significant differences? Like what, what is your case like basically about not to, not to go into the details of your lawsuit or anything, but like, what, what is your main opposition to this? So there's a lot of opposition to this. Um, And we actually did a one pager on it. That's on our website because we wanted to make sure people understood exactly the dangers of this plan. Like I said, the federal government pays for it, right? And they were touting it as a savings, even though it would never really materialize to a savings to the city taxpayer because the money that the city would have spent on the insurance was going into the health insurance stabilization fund, which both the city and the unions have control over. Um, and there's no oversight of it. And can be used any which way they want. And if they take the money out, not for health insurance, it doesn't have to be paid back. But here's the deal. In 2017, HIP VIP, a Medicare Advantage plan offered by the city of New York, is funded by, by Medicare, by CMS, and that subsidy was reduced. So HIP said to the city of New York, hey, listen, the federal government's not giving us the money that we, we got last year, so you got to make up the difference. And the city said, no, go pull it out of your reserves. And HIP, HIP said, no, give us the cash. And the city said, no. So HIP said, okay, go to those retirees and give a premium or something to them. And the city said, no. We, we promised them premium, pre, premium free health care. So what did HIP do? They gutted the plan. This insurance plan included a prescription drug plan. They cut the, they cut the drug plan out, and now we're charging people $150 for the drug rider. So now you no longer had prescription drugs covered in your plan. Where there were no copays, they added copays. Where there were copays, they doubled them. So basically, we lose our protection. We lose all of our ability to negotiate, right? Because what happens when it goes up again? They're just going to come to us and our premiums go up. At, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but they could go up on unlimited, right? Yes. <laughs> if the subsidy dies completely tomorrow, like CMS has a an epiphany, like why the hell are we overpaying these insurance companies to run these plans and takes away or drastically reduces the subsidy? We're screwed. Yeah. We're all screwed because where your plans were costing you almost nothing, now they're going to start costing more and more. But there's more issues with it just than that. That's my first serious issue because that that puts you on notice that where you weren't paying premiums or copays before, or you were paying minimal copays and no premiums, 
you are at risk later to be paying more for healthcare. And we're seeing that right now. Um, on, in January, the city and the unions agreed, city and the MLC agreed to put $15 co-pays on everyone in the senior care plan. What is that doing? Well, we have, we have people who are 9-11 responders, we have people that are disabled, we have older infirm people, and some of them have cancer. Like I have a lady that wrote me last week and she said, I was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. I have to have surgery again. And then I have to have chemotherapy several times, you know, twice a week, three times a week, and for six months. And the treatment, the treatment is, is repetitive. It's $15 a visit. I can't afford that. So why should she, at this stage of her life, after serving her city, putting in her years, now be told, we're going to give you this health care, but we're going to change it. But every time you go to the doctor, we're going to charge you $15. And now she's on a limited pension. She's a civilian. So she makes an under $25,000 pension. And now you're asking her to do co-pays that are basically equating to a car payment. She can't do it. So here she is in her 70s being asked to pay a couple hundred dollars a month in co-pays that she never had to experience before. She's sick with cancer and she thinks she can have the surgery, but she can't afford the treatment. Why are we doing this? Yeah, and, and just to put this in perspective for everybody, right? She retired, maybe, maybe we have retirees that retired in the 70s, still alive, right? Maybe some even in the 60s. Uh, they retired a long, long time ago. So when you're hearing $15, you might be thinking, oh, $15 isn't a big deal. But these people pension, some of them are $800 a month, $1,000 a month, $1,200 a month. Your $10,000 a month pension by 2050 could be equivalent to a $1,000 a month pension today. So you got to really start thinking about all of this. Like this is this is scary. Like I'm listening to this right now and I'm basically uh, in my head now. I'm saying I'm not covered by the city of New York if they win this. I'm going to have to go get health care when, when I become Medicare eligible. I'm going to um, have to or continue working the rest of my life or pay into my own private plan. Yeah. So this becomes scary when when you start telling people that. You know, they're and, and some people, these people aren't making $10,000 a month pensions. They're making $2,000 a month pensions. So some of my retirees are actually police officers and firefighters who did retire in the 70s. Their salary in 1976 was $15,000. Even with COLA and a variable supplemental fund, this is killing them. I have one retired police officer who lives in Florida. He's on Medicare. His wife's on Medicare. He retired, I think, in 1976, and he has a disabled daughter. So three people on Medicare, okay? Yeah. Uh, if, this, if we didn't do this lawsuit and stop the city from charging us that $200 a month, he would have had to pay $600 a month to, to opt him and his wife and his daughter out of the plan, okay? It actually gets worse. He, his daughter is on Medicare and Medicaid. She's handicapped. Um, in an adult facility. So if this happened and he was said, well, maybe I should just put everybody in, in this Medicare Advantage plan, he would have a problem. There's a, there's a few problems here. Um, the plan does not allow you, the Medicare Advantage plans do not allow you to have any supplemental insurance. You, can have not, you cannot have another backup plan. It is the only plan you're allowed to have. You cannot have a private drug plan. You cannot have Medicaid. You cannot use your TRICARE towards your medical bills. You can use it for your drug plan, but not towards this is what OLR is telling us, right? So if you can't have any other insurance, that facility is not going to accept a Medicare plan, Medicare Advantage plan. 
She has to be on Medicare and Medicaid. She has to be on certain drugs. Now, the Medicare Advantage plan requires that you use your welfare fund drug plan first. Well, her drugs aren't in the formulary in the union welfare fund plan. So then she'd have to buy the rider. The father would have to purchase the rider, but she'll never be able to get into the rider if she doesn't come out and exhaust the welfare fund first. Now that's a twofold hit. One, it's on the, it's on the union because the unions before, if, an, if a retiree was either their drug wasn't in the formulary or they had so much medication that it would exhaust the formulary, the retiree wouldn't even go into the plan. They would go purchase something outside. With Medicare Advantage, you, you don't have that ability. You have to be in this welfare fund plan. You cannot be on an outside drug plan. And the union now is, is watching as all of this starts to transpire that, that these retirees would have to exhaust what would be allotted for them before they can get out of the welfare fund and into the rider. Now it's taking a lot of money. It will basically kill the union welfare fund. It will crush especially, the union welfare fund. Especially the smaller unions. I, I start to think about this at night and I said, you know, Robert Lynn was director of OLR at the time when all of this stuff was happening. I think he masterminded this to basically kill the unions because this is what this would do. The smaller trade unions are screaming at me that like some of their welfare fund plans are small, five, $10,000. I have one retiree that lives in New Jersey. His wife's medication is $12,600. It is a very expensive life-saving lung medication. His welfare fund cap is $23,000. She would not get out of February. If the drug plan, the welfare fund, accepted her drug in the formulary, which it does not. It's awful. Absolutely. So like for years, you know, like, like through collective bargaining and all that, all of our unions have been selling out the unborn, basically guys that didn't, guys and girls that didn't come on the job yet, right? But now we're being sold out we're being sold out in retirement, too. The guys that already made it through the 20 years, right? It was like, oh, who cares? They didn't take the job yet. They're not coming in under those pretenses. Still a good job. Still a good job. Still a good job. People still come in. Now they're having recruitment issues all over the city. And now you got guys that serve guys and girls. When I say guys, I'm just a cop. So I always I know, say guys. guys you know, guys. I always say guys, but I don't, you know, um, so... But now you now we're being sold out in retirement. You serve the city. Congratulations and see you later. And we're so I, I applaud you for bringing this up. Could you you know, I, I got a lot of younger guys that listen to, to this to this to this podcast. Could you just tell us who is Medicare eligible at, 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 at this point so they understand at what point they're going to be affected and you're going to be affected. So like, but if, they, if just so that they're aware. Well, and it gets bigger other than just Medicare. So to answer your first question. You are eligible for Medicare if you're over 65 or you're disabled, no matter what your age. So we have a lot of younger disabled retirees uh, because of line of duty injury, you know, Lodi, you have um, 9-11 responders, you have widows, line of duty, people, widows that are, are line of duty spouses, widows from fire, police, EMS, that are also covered under these plans. So when I, when I first heard that a widow was covered under this, like my mind was like, oh my gosh, why isn't anyone saying this? These are the people we've protected our whole life. How, how can this affect them? And I don't hear the union screaming. This is impossible. We even did a newspaper article on it. I think in the daily news, uh, I think January, not a peep, not a peep out of one of the unions, not a peep out of any uniform union. 
I, I, I was so upset over this because these widows were in their 80s and no one got upset. When I called one of the unions, I called the UFA and I said, hey, how is this possible that, that it's okay to now expect a widow who's in her 80s to start paying for her insurance? And they said, well, we always promised that you'd have it. We just didn't promise it would be free. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Where did this change? Crazy. Absolutely. It's absolute insanity. Because I'll tell you, like, being a younger retiree, I heard very little about it. You know, I really did. I heard, like, some rumblings. I'm like, what, what is that? Oh, I don't really know. I even know guys that have been retired 10, 15 years, and they're still not affected yet. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I think they're trying to screw us. But we never really heard it. So, I mean, so I, I applaud you for putting this 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 together. Um, what? Well, let me give you the other part. So in June oh, 16th, sure. sorry. There's more. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So you think it's just, this is just going to affect ret retirees Medicare eligible? No. Um, on June 16th, the city published in the city record an RFI, Request for Information. And it was, it was described in their print that it was for active employees and non-Medicare eligibles. And their goal was to replace the Emblem Health Plan, which is GHICBP. GHI Comprehensive Benefit Plan, right? Yep. Okay. GHI Senior Care for the Medicare eligibles is carved out of GHI CBP. So even though the unions and the city keep saying, no, no, the RFI is for actives and non-Medicare eligibles, I call BS on that right away. Because if you kill Emblem, you kill senior care. This affects everybody. Employees, retirees, retirees, Medicare eligibles. It affects every single person. They put that RFI out June 16th. It closed July 14th. They received eight uh, replies or responses to their request for information. Now, it's not a request for proposal, RFP, but that will follow very soon, you mark my words. And they are looking to replace this right now. The other thing that I'm being told that the unions are doing, and I'm being told this by the, some of the unions, they are looking to, to draft legislation to modify or kill 12-126 of the New York City Administrative Code, which is what we want our lawsuits on. That sets the standard and the benchmark for what the city has to pay up for each of us, employees and retirees, as well as our Medicare B reimbursement um, that the city pays for Medicare eligibles. Now, if they do that, that affects you, me, and them. Affects everybody. People working, uh, so people retired, people yep. of age, disabled, non-disabled, affects everybody. Everybody, whether you're 25 or 95. And they're okay to do this. And it's blowing my mind because this, is, this law has been here since 1967. In 1966, Medicare went live. And, and the mayor at the time said, this is great. Let's put all people who are eligible on Medicare on Medicare. It'll save the city a lot of money. We won't we won't duplicate their benefits, but we'll put them on that plan. We've been paying for employee health. We've been pay paying for retiree health. And why did they do that? Because they wanted you to be healthy because they figured if you were healthy and you came to work, you'd be more productive. They also wanted your family healthy so you wouldn't have to stay home and bang in and you could come to work and your family had health care. And it was affordable or free. That's why they did it. 1941, mayors were smart then. So, so they put these plans in effect. There were three plans, GHI, HIP, 
and uh, Blue Cross Metropolitan Hospitalization 21-day plan. And then as time went on, the union started asking for more plans and the insurance company started asking more because they needed more competition, they needed more help covering everyone that was coming into the plan. Um, and it evolved. So in 1966, Medicare went, went live and the mayor said, let's put everyone on Medicare that's eligible and let's continue to pay. pay. So for employees, it was easy. In 1966, uh, or 1966 or 1967, he, he wrote a memo and personnel order and he put everyone that was 65 and over still working on Medicare and continue to pay for their insurance. Now, if you were retired, he couldn't do that by personnel order because you were retired. He had to pass a law. So the mayor asked city council, Councilman Marola, uh, Mario Marola from Brooklyn and Edmund Farrell from Brooklyn and said, could you do this? Could you write a law for us that would, that would allow us to put these retirees on Medicare and still pay for it? And the councilman said, sure. They drafted this law and that's how 12-126 evolved and it, it, it allowed, it required that if you were Medicare eligible, whether by age or disability, you went into the plan that the city would still pay for Medicare B and they would also pay for the supplemental part that paid for the, Medicare pays for the first 80% of your bill, the supplemental pays for the last 20. They would still pay their part and they did. That's how that happened. It actually was the mayor asking the council to do it. And it was widely supported, unanimously supported by the council, the unions, and the politicians. Well, it was a, a sane city at that point, too. You know, no, nobody supported criminals. You know, it was, so, you know, we weren't letting people run wild. We didn't hate the police. You know, it was no. a little bit more sane. Um, so, so uh, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. But basically what I, what I was getting at is, they, they passed this law. That's the basis you win your lawsuit on. The law that, that, that was passed back then, you win your yeah. lawsuit. Uh, you, you win. Now the city appeals. <laughs> the very next day. <laughs> the very next day, city rushes into appeal. I don't, I, I don't want you to speak on legal issues if, if it could affect the case. Um, but if you could just give us like a brief of like, what what's their appeal like what's their argument like what what do they say like what's the city's argument like to, to appeal like what are they saying so they're alleging that justice frank from manhattan supreme court erred in his decision um i think justice frank was dead on and i'm going to tell you why about a month ago the new york posted a story and they printed a letter that was written by the new york city law department and it was sent to labor relations and in this letter, they talk about the HIP plan and the adding, adding co-pays. And the attorney for the law department, New York City Law Department, said that, that some of what, he, what they wanted to do in labor relations would work and it would still would not violate 12-126. And he went on to explain that 12-126 requires the city to pay up to the HIP HMO cap for any plan. Any plan that they offered, okay? Keyword, any. Well, the city in its Supreme Court argument and now going into the appellate argument is arguing that they only have to pay for one plan, not any plan. And this was like crazy to, to actually read this, that someone sent this to the post and said, hey, you know, the city's lying. <laughs> Here's one of their own memos. Um, the city, the city is, is, is lying. So we've now filed a motion for sanctions against the city for filing a frivolous lawsuit 
that they argued against one of their own positions about what the city had to pay up to and you know pay for. So the city is alleging that the judge made a mistake. We don't believe the judge made a mistake. I think we'll come out victorious on this. Um, we, I think we'll be successful. I want to think, I want to believe we will be successful in appellate court as well as the sanctions argument. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, that when we go to appellate court, you're not before one judge, you're before a panel of five. So uh, the city can, if they lose there, they, they still have one more court to appeal to. I mean, I don't know how crazy they are. You know, if the unions are successful in changing the law, will the city still appeal? I have no idea. We've asked the mayor since this happened, March 4th, if he would rescind the appeal and protect retirees and keep the promises that he made to us, as well as understanding that this, this plan is inferior to what we've had um, and that we should not be forced into this or be, you know, our choices be stripped. The mayor has not answered us back. We asked him for a meeting for months and since he was running, and if you remember, when we were, he was still running, he was candidate Adams, and this hit the news. He said, this sounds like a bait and switch. We shouldn't be doing this. And then all of a sudden he became mayor and he was like, rah, rah, screw those retirees. Like this doesn't make any sense. So every week I was sending him an email to the portal, you know, to meet the mayor, schedule a meeting with the mayor. And then I thought, well, if I keep doing that, I might get accused of harassment. So let's do it every other week. <laughs> So I backed off a little bit and I was nice. I mean, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't acting crazy. I was just, want to sit down. That's it. I want to sit down. I should have at least 15, 30 minutes, an hour with you to say, you met with the union, meet with us, hear our side. And he wouldn't. So finally, a couple of weeks ago, I get a phone call that they want to meet with me. I was like, oh, <laughs> the angels were singing. He's going to listen. And then my meeting was scheduled for Monday, a Monday. At like 10.42 p.m. on Sunday night, I get an email from his assistant that says, we're very sorry, we have to cancel your meeting. The mayor just found out you're in litigation with the city. <laughs> I'm like, what? We've been in litigation with the city since September. He's just finding this out now. And she wouldn't answer me back. So the next morning I called her. And I said, um, he really does need to talk to me because if he's just finding out now that we're in litigation with the city to protect a retiree's benefit, that means someone's not giving him all the information he needs to have and he really needs to talk to me because what else aren't they telling him? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. He meets with people all the time that are suing the city. So that's, that's, a, nullin, that's a no argument right there. You're trying to appeal to him to pull the to pull the appeal and protect retirees you're not you're not gonna hang him on that like that's no. that's absolutely ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and he said he said a lot of things during his campaign that obviously have not come to fruition so we see yeah. we see what we're dealing with there have you had any political support whatsoever as far as funding anything like that has anyone helped you um to, to gain you know to get some money because obviously I'm, I'm assuming this has cost a lot of money yes it has uh so We've received no financial help from political organizations. Retiree groups, on the other hand, um, local uh, 1013 organizations, which are retired uh, police officers, FOP, uh, the uh, URFA, RMA, these retiree groups, retired teacher chapters, individuals mostly have been 
funding our lawsuit. Um, in the height of our litigation, our legal fees were running about $120,000 a month. It's a lot of money. So in the course of a year, um, we have probably spent somewhere between eight dollars and $900,000 in litigation. We have collected about a million dollars so far, but we've also had organizational fees. Like every time someone makes a donation, we have banking fees, PayPal fees, Venmo, you know, all these kinds of things. We have to pay for our insurance. We have we have a board, our board and officers. We have a, a board of officers, advisors, and trustees made up of all different people, police, fire, EMS, teachers, doctors, council, um, city uh, people that used to work for, that were used to be attorneys, people that worked in all social services, people that worked in all different city agencies, because we wanted the board to look like who we represent. Um, and in the initial days of that, it was kind of hard because when I started this last August, I invited like 40 people to a meeting, 17 showed up and only five volunteered for positions. So it was very quickly trying to go, please, you have to help us, please, you have to help us. Um, so it's, it, it, it's been a roller coaster, it, it really has, but it has been funded by the retirees only and through grassroots fundraising. We started asking for $25 and then $25 a month. And then we found that people realized what our costs were and we're very transparent about that. We want them to understand that none of us take a salary, none of us takes a stipend, that all costs go to fund the organization and fund the legal costs. Um, attorney fees are quite expensive. Court fees are quite expensive. We have multiple plaintiffs. We have a, we have a couple different lawsuits going on. So we have we have the Supreme Court case. Now we have the appellate case. In the appellate case, you need to have also other attorneys that specialize in appellate law to help those attorneys. You know that that handle different cases that handle Supreme Court cases. We also have the sanctions case, and we're getting ready to file a third case, which I can't talk about. Um, but we are funding this. And that's why it's so important because what we tell retirees is look, because we did this and we've literally given up a year of our lives, our personal lives, like those of us with spouses, they're not really happy with us. Like we're, we're always on the phone or we're always on video or we're always doing something with this. Um, it's literally a 24 seven thing and it's quite exhausting. It's quite exhausting to be honest. And um, it requires a lot of work on our part, outreach on our part, and we're still not even reaching the full number. We have allegedly, this, is, this affects 250,000 retirees. I have almost 18,000 or 17,000 people on my Facebook page. On our, on our um, email list is close to 10,000. We have a YouTube channel with about 2,500 followers on it. Who are we missing? Those that are not plugged in, the larger population are your 80, 90 year olds. And those retirees mostly don't do email or they're infirm or they don't look at YouTube or they're not on Facebook or whatever. So we had to keep trying to find ways to reach out to them. So you'll see our organization has a website. We have email. We have a YouTube channel. I have a Twitter page. I have a LinkedIn page. And I didn't want to yet do an organizational one on those because then that would just be more to manage. So I just opened up my profiles, which used to be private, and started just putting this out. Um, and, and that's, we've been reaching some people. Two months, uh, June, we started going in in-person meetings back into the city. And we started going to retired fire meetings and police officer meetings, the 1013 meetings, the FOP meetings. So I just came back from New York. We did um, the United Retired Firefighters up in the Mayo Pack area. They opened up their meetings to all retirees, teachers, civilians, police, everybody. So we had about hundred people up there. 
then um, we came down and went to Mineola. We had about another 100 or so there. That was sponsored by the New York 1013. They were wonderful to us. Um, then we went to Staten Island and met with the FOP there in Staten Island at the Rocco Lori Memorial Lodge. Um, that wasn't a large crowd, but it was still a good crowd. And then we came back and met with another group of retirees in Comac. And then I flew home. And we're going back again. Um, it, 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 Madeline, our treasurer, she'll be in New York um, the end of this month, and I'm going back in September. It, it, it requires us to, to carry this burden because there are so many retirees that either still don't know about this or they think we won and it's all fixed. Even people in city council think that, and that's not true. Um, they're not familiar with the city lying. They're not familiar with the ramifications of what will happen if we are all forced into a Medicare Advantage plan. They don't even understand the material differences between both plans and why we are fighting to keep the choices that we have. So it's, it's, it's a lot. And when you start to talk about this, sometimes people look at you like a deer in headlights because let's face it, insurance isn't the easiest thing to understand. And especially if they think it's not going to affect them. I mean, look, we, we made a phone call to a garage one day and a young man in his late 20s answered the phone and he was also a union delegate. And we asked him about this. And he said, look, lady, I have to be here until I'm 65. That means I'd have to be here for another 40 something years. Do you think I'm gonna be here for 40 years? And I said, but you'll be vested in your health insurance after 10. And he said, well, if I could sell off that, that older people benefit that I'm not gonna use for a raise today, I'm gonna do it. I was like, are you kidding me? So, so basically, so basically you're missing, why does, why does my thing keep doing? Sorry. So I, you're, I, I, I keep getting feedback. I don't know why. Oh. Um, so, uh, so you're missing like 230,000 retirees. You're missing 230,000 retirees that you, you need money to grassroots. And you're missing about, I, what, what, do we, what do we got? 600,000, how many city employees? Like be, be two, whatever, it's between like 300,000. I think employees, I think we're at you know, and, and this affects all of us, you know, to, to think that it's not going to affect you at this moment in time. It's, it's yep. stupidity. It's absolute stupidity. You Especially know, if um, that RFI goes through, if that RFI goes through, this affects everyone. Yeah. And, and, and so is, is what, what are you guys asking now? Like how could, how could active and retired members help? How could we, you guys aren't even taking a salary. You're doing this to protect, you're doing, you're doing it to, to fight the good fight, really. You're doing it to We're protect doing what the union should be doing. You're doing exactly what the union should be doing. And honestly, the union should be telling everybody about this. I should have already known about all of the ins and outs of this. I, I shouldn't have to have gotten it from you. Right. You shouldn't even probably existed. The municipal labor or whatever committee that they are, they should the, the people who vote in the middle of the night and we can't see how they vote or who votes um, that that's who should have been protecting retirees. But, you know, it, it's, it's so I, I think two things here, like how could we help you out with the funding? How could we help you grassroots to speak to all local politicians? Because, you know, I, you know, that's another thing, like, you know, like city council, all these people, they yeah. talk about how they want to protect people. So let's protect the people that serve the city. Let's protect people in their old age, our vulnerable, our most vulnerable population. You know, that's, that's, to me, this is a, this is abhorrent, like that. This isn't mainstream news, that this isn't yeah. all over the New York Post. This isn't over everything daily news new york post fox news cnn you know you're you're just in the middle of the night you're just going to move all these people into a plan that could potentially bankrupt them 
or in some cases kill them on top of bankrupt there right that lady if she doesn't get her medicine 12,500 she gets two she gets a couple more months and that's it it's over like that's it see you later sorry your life's not worth that that amount of medicine you know that's and and the only thing that we need to do is spend a couple more dollars to keep ourselves in this plan um so what what could we do what could we do so if you're in the city you need to call your city council person and you need to educate them that they passed 12-126, the council did in 1967, right? That we need them to protect 12-126 and protect current retirees. If a, if a union wants to change their health benefit, they should change it prospectively. Change it for current employees, future retirees, not current retirees. We paid for our benefits. We gave up, up wages. We gave up, we gave zero zeros. We took zero zeros. We took no raises to keep what we had. I don't see the unions going, well, the stabilization fund is bankrupt. Let me take a year of zero zeros and let, let, let's fund this. No, there's, they said, well, let's, what was the easiest way to do it? Let's go to the low hanging fruit. Let's go to the ones who have no say, no vote. Let's do this to them. Let's tell them it's better. They'll buy it. Yeah, we didn't buy that. So city council needs to be educated because some of the council people we're talking to says, no, no, that's dead already. That, 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 you won that. They won that in court. No, we did win, but it's being appealed. This, the mayor's not pulling back, and the unions are still going forward with trying to push retirees into a different plan that they have no say in. So the council has to be solicited. Um, they need to pressure their, their active unions. If they are still employees, they need, to actively, they need to actively complain to their unions. You shouldn't be doing this. Let's find savings in another way should be the answer. And then because we need to keep this litigation going forward, donate to the organization. We're, we're incorporated in the state of New York as a nonprofit. We have a pending 501c3. The IRS is behind, so I'm not yet approved for a 501c3, but we are you know, working towards that. Um, I'm hoping that comes in soon. But any donation goes right to the organization. It doesn't come to any one of us. Uh, we have a PO box that's in Florida and that's because our treasurer is in Florida. We have multiple ways of being able to donate. Many people um, who donate to us, donate to us monthly, like through a bill pay. They just automatically, their bank sends us a check. Those who can give more than $25 do. We have a lot of people that send us a lot more, some, you know, $100 or $50. Some Periodically, we have a couple that sends us $1,000. Um, and those that give, give what they can. And that's why we never really asked for more than $25, because we didn't want people to feel pressured to put themselves especially the, our lower income retirees. We wanted to really do this in a grassroots way that didn't pressure those that couldn't. We wanted them to participate in whatever way that they could. We still get letters and Madeline could tell you, she could even show you some of them. We get these little, these letters in colored pencils with like little arthritic cursive uh, with like a, a crumpled up $10 bill and says, I wish I could give you more, but this is all I can give you. Thank you for helping to fight to protect me. If that doesn't make you cry, because it makes us cry, you know, oh. it, it's horrible. But, but exactly how can I donate? Where can I find you? Where can we find you? Where do we go to? Where do we go to to set that bill pay up or to donate money or to, or to, to get even get information, right? Because you said you have a lot of flyers on this. You have stuff that you put together. Like, yeah. Where can we go for that? So our website is www.nycretirees, with an S, R-E-T-I-R-E-E-S dot org. So when you go there, you'll see our logo. It's round logo, Cityscape Bridge. Um, and the navigation bars are up in the right. 
We have a media tab where you can go and print up a flyer. We have a, a group of retirees that print out a bunch of those. They put them in bus stops. We have Len and Len and um, two gentlemen that go through Brooklyn and Queens. They take a couple hundred flyers and they've been sitting, they've been hitting every school, firehouse, police station, DOT workers, wherever they see city employees, they start handing out flyers. Um, so they, they do that as well. They put them in their bulletin boards in their supermarkets. Um, if you go to the donate slash subscribe tab or donate dash subscribe tab, you can donate there. There's all the options. There's links. It tells you how to do it. And there's even a, a link to sign up for our emails in case you don't want to be on our Facebook page. I mean, we totally understand that. Um, but you can sign up for our emails and we send those out like once a week. Um, every week on a Friday, we close our Facebook page. Because there's so many people in our Facebook, it's like 17,000 people. It's just a lot for the moderators to handle. And we figured for everyone's health, we really needed to like take a pause. And the, the best way to do that was to just shut down. So every Friday, we close our Facebook page for three days. It used to be just Saturday and Sunday, but the summers are kind of slow. So we close our page now for three days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And it gives everybody just a couple days to rest. Um, some of us are still working on those days, but at least the moderators get a breather. So what we do is we do a, a, a Facebook Live on a Friday night, we do a Zoom chat, and we answer people's questions, we give them an update, and then we record it and upload it to YouTube. So that way those people at home can watch it if they're not on Facebook. So that's what we do. And so you can go to our page, you'll find the links to our YouTube, you'll find the links to donate, you'll find the links for um, email subscriptions, as well as our Facebook. And then we even have a page for active employees that says, hey, you need to know why we're in this situation. You need to know that your unions are trying to sell off givebacks so that you can get your raises. Do you know what your unions are giving back? Now, there's a document that we printed up there. There's actually a couple on that active employee page. One is the 2014 agreement. The other is the 2018 agreement that I talked about. And then the other one is titled givebacks which they are actively trying to give back. This is what the city is saying to the MLC. If you give us back these things, which most of them affect a retiree, if you really want to get angry, some of them affect an employee, but they'll all affect an employee when they retire. That's the big picture. So they need to understand that for some reason, the city and the unions are engaging in, in attrition bargaining, where the, basically the city is saying, this is your value. If you want anything out here, you've got to give us something outside in the box, give us something back, and then we'll give you something else. Why would you do that? Our value isn't finite. Our value should be increasing. But the city is taking it like, if you want this, then give us something from that you already have. I shouldn't be giving you back. We earned and paid for this. You know, I think... Part of the problem you see in the papers today, um, I think I read in the New York Times, there was an article that was printed online that said employees in the city of New York are resigning and retiring in record numbers. You gotta ask yourself why. So if, if the numbers are up, I know on your job they're high, in my job they're high, in fire and teachers they're high, and today in the paper there was another article, I think it was in the post about a record number of teacher shortages. So you start to think about this, this is crazy. So if you want to attract and retain smart people in city service, this is not the way to do it. You don't take away someone's benefit that you promised them to lure them on the job 
You don't take it away when they're already retired. That's not going to help you. And this is probably one of the things that caused the employee shortage with the Staten Island Ferry yesterday. (laughs) Did you read about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's shortages everywhere and they're all self-made by our city government. And like you said, this is exactly going to do that. This is why would I, and, and you got, I have young guys call me all the time. How do I leave early? How do I vest out? When am I vested? What happens with this? What happens with that? And the reason they're doing that is because they don't see this as a long-term career anymore. And when you're telling me that my benefits might go through the roof and I might not be able to have health benefits, I have to go out on my own anyway then why should I work six, seven days a week for the city of New York as a cop or a fireman or EMS worker and go out there and not be around with my family for holidays or weekends and give up my entire youth, you know, and basically my uh, everything. I give you everything, gave you everything. And then I get thrown in the garbage and I'm watching people that serve this city, people that we say we honor, right? Like, you know, they'll do the whole thing at your funeral. You know, we honor them, but in life, we're going to kick you to the garbage when you're no longer employed by us. Um, that, that, that's appalling. It really is. And, and uh, Mayor Adams, if you're listening, I mean, you really need to step up, man. You are one of us. You were a New York City kid. You grew up in Brooklyn just like I did. You know, you took a city job just like I did. Get, you know, get, get it together, man. Get it together. Protect the retirees. Protect our most vulnerable population. This is uh, drop your appeal. Drop your appeal to the guys that are active. Start helping at Marianne out, help her organization out, start donating. I'm going to start donating. I'm going to sign up for your emails. I'm going to get more involved myself. I'm going to, even though I'm not in New York anymore, I, I, my, my big passion is lobbying members of New York City Council uh, okay. because, you know, they need to work. So I'll, I'm going to make sure I get this out to a lot of people, potential candidates as well, myself. Um, when are we expecting this, uh, this appeal, though? So. The sanctions motion should be heard sometime in September, is our belief. And then um, uh, about two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago already, Anthem pulled out of the deal. And what happened was the city, the city received a letter from Anthem Blue Cross saying, we want to get this plan on live January 1st. Will you commit? And the city and the unions, thank heaven they had a brain, and said no, we can't commit to doing this. This is still in litigation. You want us to be sued again? So Anthem backed out. And it was actually the same week that Anthem Blue Cross was having their annual earnings report for their shareholders, which I think was the 20th or the 21st. So they had to answer to their shareholders why they're spending money hand over fist, right? And this plan wasn't going live. And they had no commitment as to when it would. So they backed out of the deal, leaving Emblem by themselves. The union set out and very quickly, like uh, the detectives union, I think the captain's union, and I think the lieutenant's union too, sent out an email going, well, you know, those retirees did this and it caused us to have no money in the fund. And and, uh, now Anthem pulled out and we're just going to find another vendor to take their place. So we're in the same situation. The appellate argument will not be heard. This actually caused the city to have some strife. They said they were actually surprised by it. I don't think they were surprised. I think um, I think they kind of knew what was going to happen when they told Anthem that they couldn't guarantee a start date of January 1. So the city called us and said, "We I know we were supposed to hear this case in September. Can we push this up a little bit? And, and we agreed. So the appellate case probably won't be heard until October, which gives us a little bit more time to fundraise because we know we still have legal bills that we have to pay that are sitting in accounts payable. And we have to we have to fundraise for, for the argument itself. 
and and we know that we're you know potentially planning a third litigation so i need to be able to prepare for all of that um the sanctions motion should be heard back before judge frank we believe and the appellate case will be heard before the appellate panel which is five five judge justices Oh yeah, I mean that's it's it's insanity, you know. I I really I I listen. I I got to give you kudos, whoever's on your board. I give you guys all kudos. Great I, team. I really I really do. It's you know you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. I thank you for educating not only me but the rest of us. And I see you out there all over. I've been following you on LinkedIn. I see you going to all these events, speaking with everybody, posting things. And you're not even getting paid. So oh. you know, I mean, I really do. I give you kudos. I you know. I, you know, I really thank you for coming on. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm going to do anything I can to help you. I hope that everybody listening to this also does anything they could do to help. The active, retired, wherever you are, this is going to affect you. You're a New York City worker. This is going to affect you at some point. This is wrong. This is setting precedent for the city that they can do whatever they want to us in retirement. Because if, if, if they get away with this, believe me, there's more things coming down. Oh, believe yes, me. Sarah. <laughs> believe me. That, that's all they like to do. They set precedent. And then once the precedent's set, that's it. You're done. Um, well, and you know, Harry Nespoli from the MLC will say, well, you know, past practice allows us to do this. Well, dude, you're starting past practice. This will be your past practice, your precedent. If you do this to a retiree, when the city goes to do it to you, what are you going to say? They're going to say, past practice. Yeah, past practice. That's it. We, we got away with it. If you didn't, if you didn't put this lawsuit in, that's it. That precedent set. Oh, they're in it. That's it. That's it. That, that would have been it. It would have went in the, under the night, under the table. The union would have said, here you go. And that would have been it. And, and I'm Sicilian. I'm stubborn. I don't like someone screwing me. So when, I, when I'm feeling like someone's coming after me, some take something I earned away, that gets me fired up. <laughs> no, yeah. and, and I'm reading articles today. You know, the pension fund's not doing too well. You know, our two last two great controllers and the, and the active one now, you know, they, you know, basically they're blowing money. We, we, what do we lose? 200 million to Russia. And, you know, our pension funds are, are now, now in jeopardy because we have idiots running them. And what, what <laughs> happens to our pay? What is, does our pay happen the same way? Oh, our pension fund's no good. We're going to have to reduce benefits. I, I, it's a very scary thing. I hope all of you guys take heed. I hope all of you guys donate. Uh, Mary, I, I really thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Is there anything you want to say? Anything that I missed? Anything that, that uh, you, you know, any, anything you want to say? Anything you want to talk about? No, I think, I think we covered it. It, it mainly, co- this affects, don't just think this affects a retiree. This affects every employee and every retiree. And, and we need to be able to to protect what we earned. We fought hard for this. And it and and I think too, we become complacent. We listen to what the union, the active union members will say to me, well, my union said that it was fine. The plan was better. You just don't understand that. Now think where that comes from. When we were active and we were union people, we listened to what our union said, most of us as gospel. Like, why would the union lie to us? Why well, didn't, but you know. <laughs> why would they lie? The union would never lie to us. We thought, I mean, we, but I don't think, I honestly, I have to say, I don't really think the unions are lying. When I'm speaking to them, they were not told what we are telling them. And that's why now they're listening to us and their union. And they don't know who to listen to. Their loyalties with their union. It's where it should be because that's where ours was. But I'll tell you when I have these one-on-ones with the union officers, they've not heard. And I said to them, fact check me. I'm going to give you five facts. 
fact check me. None of them come back to me because I'm telling the truth. I could back up everything I'm saying. The unions don't want to acknowledge that they made a mistake. I get it. And now they have these contracts that they signed that they rolled into their collective bargaining agreements, this healthcare savings that they don't know how to get out of. But so here's a tip on that. The judge declared part of this agreement that they had invalid. It's illegal. They couldn't charge us to stay in our old plans. Well, if I were the unions, and I hope they're all listening, then they should go back to the city and say, the judge declared part of that agreement invalid. I don't owe you a recurring $600 million. Because if I tell you how many unions told me I owed them $1.1 billion, you'd laugh. I don't owe you anything. You owe me a year of my life back. Oh, yeah, they're taking the path of least resistance. That's it. They're taking the path of least resistance. And honestly, if, if COVID has shown us anything the last two years, our unions are, are holding the water for Mayor Adams right now. So, I, you know, I, I applaud you, man. You, you don't owe anybody anything. They actually need to, to owe. And, and on, on, on the last note on this, people that don't know about this and you don't know about this, you're active, you're retired, and you're, you're active in your union, you never heard anything about this, you better push to get that guy out. That's all I'm saying, you know. So I, I, we're going to end on that. Do me a favor. Stay, stay on me one sec, all right? All right. Crazy.